love that song, and I'm going to come back and make some comments about it as we go through our time together in just a little while. Uh, I've just really been excited about the series that we're going to start today. Uh, Everyday Life on Mission, the card that you can have in your program, uh, that what I've been you know, praying about is for me personally, and uh, then you know, just for you as well, that what this series would do is it would awaken us. I'm praying for an awakening in our church. And the awakening would be in our realization of our primary purpose, what it is that God has called us to do. Um, We would understand it, and we would embrace it both, understand it and embrace it together. And then we'd be able to live it out in our world. And so um, everyday life on mission, you look at this and you think, well, okay, Ron, I, I really want that. I want to have a life of purpose, and so you might read this and you would think, well, this series is going to be about helping me to discover how I'm wired, how I'm made, uh, what it is that I have skills at, my experiences, and then combine all that together, and then pray, and then ask God, okay, God, this is the way you made me, what's my purpose, how do you want to use me in the world and life? And in fact, the quote in the back might even lead you to think that. The quote in the back says this, it says, the two most important days of our lives are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The day you're born. We have no control over that. We're born and then the day that you find out why you're born. And we all want to have a life of purpose and a life of meaning. And so, you know, when we talk about that as people, I'm going to talk about that as a church today. Uh, We were born as a church and uh, we were born with a purpose and a why. And what I want to do is I want to bring us back to the why, uh, as why we exist, uh, clearly from the words of Jesus that we're going to look at today. Uh, and I just think that whether you are, you know, have been part of our church for a long time, maybe you're here for the first time, uh, maybe you're just checking church out, checking God out, that you'll find that today will be meaningful because you'll understand exactly uh, what it is that church is called to do. You know, there's a lot of, you know, perceptions and I would say even misconceptions and culture about church, and a lot of it uh, in the negative way we deserve, actually. Uh, But we're going to look at it from the positive side today about what it is that he's called us to do and be. So I'm going to invite everyone, if you'd grab these message notes, they're going to help you to follow along today, and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to end up in just a little while together. And I just want to reference a Bible, is that um, if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give you one as a gift today. So if you wanted to, you could stop at one of the bookshelves in the lobby, and they have Bibles stacked on them, and you can just take one. It's our gift to you. We'd love to see you have a gift in your home as well as we do that. So here we are uh, in 2016, and I don't know about you, but I'm excited for another year. Uh, you know, tr- clicked over in that calendar, and it just means a lot to be able to do that. Um, and so we're in the series, we're going to talk about uh, what it is that Jesus has called us to do. Now, when Jesus came, he was very clear uh, about his mission and about his purpose. In fact, it's recorded several different ways and places, but I put one on your notes. It's Luke 19. When Jesus says this, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus wasn't confused about why he was here, to seek and to save the lost. And the lost would be everyone who's separated from God. And as we come to understand that, that means separated from God 
um, by sin or rebellion or turning away from in some way that Jesus came to seek and to save those. Now, after Jesus, one of his first followers, uh, not of the original gang, but one of his first followers was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul came to understand Jesus' calling in his life. And then at the end of his life, he says these words are recorded in Acts chapter 20. He says, my life is worth nothing to me. It's a pretty bold statement. It's the end of his life. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing, for carrying out the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. And here was the work, okay? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That was his mission, telling others about the wonderful grace or the message of God's grace. Now, we don't have to wonder uh, what Jesus calls us to do either. Jesus gave Paul his calling, according to Paul there, uh, to do that, because Jesus was specific to his followers, uh, the ones who were part of the original gang. Uh, And in the end of his life, uh, after he had been... crucified and then resurrected right before he ascended to be with the Father, uh, he spoke these words. Pastor Mark read us to him just a moment ago. Jesus said this, you, talking to those who follow him, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I just want us to notice two things before we go on, just to kind of pull from this. One, and uh, and I would say this is probably the primary thing that I want you to get from this today, is that uh, according to Jesus, we will only be able to carry out the mission that he's called us to do uh, when we rely on supernatural power. We're not going to be able to do it with our own charisma. We're not going to be able to do it with our own wisdom. Uh, our own special techniques or tools is it will only be done in the supernatural power of the Spirit. So, you know, we can say, we can understand today that Jesus says, I'm promising this to you. So it's not like he's saying, you'll only be able to do this and now you have to figure out how to do it, how to get it. But he's saying, no, I'm promising that the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and give you strength. And he says, and he will give you strength to be witnesses. Uh, when he says the word witness there, we're all familiar with courtroom scenes. And, and so we'll have a judge and we'll have attorneys and we'll have the plaintiff and the defendant. And then we'll have folks that will be called to be, come to the stand and to be witnesses. And they're asked to, you know, if they will say what they know. Um, witnesses are rebuffed uh, any time that they try to give conjecture or to try to come up with their own opinions about why something happened. They're simply called to say Here's what I know. And so for you and me, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) for you and me, as we uh, are called to be witnesses, what we're called to do is not to know everything, right? We get so confused and think we have to know something before we can go out. But he simply said, no, I'm just calling you to tell what you know. Talk about the experience you've had with me and what you know about me. So as Fritz talked about last week and did such a great job, God has called us to be people who are witnesses. And really what that means is that we're called to bring light to a dark world. And so we're going to talk about that today and what does that look like 
as we're talking about being on mission. I'm going to come back and kind of set it up a little bit to help us to kind of build to wrap our brains around it. Uh, we're going to need a little context, okay? So I'm going to go all the way back to Christmas Eve. I hope you were here for Christmas Eve. If you weren't, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, at, on Christmas Eve, at the end of our service, I drew us to a couple of photos. And the first photo was a photo of Jesus after he was born with his mother Mary. So this was it. And I talked about the fact that oftentimes at Christmas, we kind of end our Christmas celebration with the, the, just at the manger as if that's the only reason Jesus came, was to be born of a virgin. And uh, there's a danger in doing that because Jesus had a greater mission than just to be born. And then I showed you this next picture of the Peeta, and this is Michelangelo's sculpture, a magnificent sculpture uh, of Jesus in his mother Mary's arms after he had gone to the cross and he had died, he'd been crucified. And so what we realize is Jesus didn't come to be born, but he came to die. And he came to die specifically for us, a specific purpose so that we could, uh, because of his death as a sacrifice, and this is so complex that you don't have time to talk about all of the hows of this and the whys of this, but in his death, he made it possible for us to be brought into relationship with God, with a holy and righteous God. So Jesus came to be born, but he didn't just come to be born, he came to die, but there's more to it than that. So I want to show you another picture. Uh, This picture is of the empty tomb. So Jesus, after he was taken from the cross, and we have no idea if Mary ever held him. That's just a Michelangelo artist uh, drawing a picture there. Uh, But Jesus was placed in a tomb, and then after three days, uh, according to the Bible, that he was raised to life. And so as he was raised to life, what happened is, is that God showed at this moment that he had power over all things, including death. He had power over all things. And in that, he showed us that he has power over the sin in our lives. He has power to restore us, to renew us, to remake us, to repurpose us, to redo us, to regenerate us. Uh, And every, every person who believes and receives him. He has the power to change and transform us. And so part of that transformation is into the image of Christ, but then he he just makes us into the person that he designed us to be as we become in him. So as one of the things we want to be aware of as we start this series and just kind of, you know, talk about this morning is this, as much as the media The pundits, the politicians, the government, and the citizens struggle, and we don't want to stop doing this, but as much as they struggle to find solutions to the evil in our world, the answer to the evil in our world is not what government can do. It's not in what government can do, because the ultimate problem that we have in our world is sin. So we have a sin problem. And that's the, that's the struggle. And then God says, I've come to solve the sin problem. But I've given the church the responsibility to be my ambassador, my witness, to talk about what I've done to do that. The solution is Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And so then Jesus gave the church the mission 
to go with him, and I'll just use terms to go into battle against the war against sin. Our world needs people, therefore, who are willing to, and I've got to change the, the picture there because some of you are thinking, I'm ready for combat. It's not combat he's called us to do. And this is where I think the church has gotten confused and where we get such a, a bad rep uh, when it comes to <coughs> our mission is that he's not called us to go out and forcibly change and confront people because of their sin. He's called us to go out and show our love. In fact, primary example that the Bible gives us of how what followers of Jesus would be known for would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So what he's called us to do is he's called into the, to go into the world and to live that out. And I can guarantee you that if we were to be you know, true to that and to live that out, people would find Christianity much more attractive than they do now if we're willing to do that. And Jesus says that we are called to be that. So kind of here's what's happened. Just kind of give you some context before we read these verses in Matthew. Is that his followers have, you know, been with him and now for three years um, that they have watched him be tortured and beaten and killed on a cross. They saw, not only one of them saw him taken from the cross because the others were in hiding, but they had heard the stories of what had happened, and he was taken from the cross, he was buried, and then they heard stories and reports that Jesus had risen from the dead, and then as he had, was risen from the dead, that he had talked, angels had talked and said, he's been risen, and then Jesus had appeared to women and to a woman and said, go tell my disciples to meet me. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today, as Matthew records it, at that moment. And so in verse 16, it says this, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This was their assignment. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. So I just want us to notice here in these two verses uh, a couple of things. And the first one is this. <clears throat> when they saw Jesus in the flesh, when they saw Jesus risen from the grave... When they saw Jesus no longer dead, but alive, right before them, the first thing they did was worship him. The very first thing. They were moved to drop to their knees and worship him. Because the question I would ask is this, who gets brought back from the dead? Only God. Only God. And so at this moment, if there was ever a moment of uh, of just where they needed to understand more. They, they saw this is God. So I just want to say this part of it for us. When we talk about being on mission, being on mission will always be rooted in worship. And when I say that, I don't mean rooted in singing because I don't think they sang songs to Jesus when they bowed here. But it's always rooted in our willingness to surrender and submit to him. And that's what they were doing at this moment. They were saying, you are definitely God. And so I'm going to surrender to you and submit to you for the rest of my life and follow you. But Matthew makes another point here that I find astounding that this is in the Bible. Just astounding. He says, 
but some doubt it. But some doubt it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I thought about myself. And when I think about myself, uh, there are so many times when I have doubt. And, and that I have doubts that nag me. Anybody else have that problem? I, I think that that's our nature, to have doubts. <clears throat> and I'm so glad that Matthew talked about the fact, and Matthew was probably one who had doubts. He just didn't want to admit it here. He was just saying some of them, but that, that it's okay to doubt. And I'm so glad the Bible didn't gloss over this whole thing, or Matthew didn't gloss over it, because if he recorded it, it might seem to be a chink in the story. Oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? God's not big enough to handle this. If they said some doubt, then everybody's going to say, just look at the doubters and say, see, I told you there are people that still don't believe. But he had the courage to write it down as it actually happened. And so what this courage does for me, it gives me permission to bring my doubts to God. It brings me, it gives me permission to do that, to bring them to him and to share them also with others. And, you know, it's kind of when you look at this, you're thinking, oh, wow, they all worshiped him and some doubted. Well, folks, that's messy. Faith is messy. It really is. It's not always easy to have faith. It's not always easy to walk with Jesus. <clears throat> you know, there will be times, and I've had these times, where, you know, you are just firmly planted on the foundation of Christ, you know, and you're like saying, just bring it on, and you just feel tough. And you know that your boots, you know, the boots of righteousness are just stomped down in, and you got your cleats, and you're dug in, and you're like, just bring it on. And there are times that you're like that. And then there are other times uh, when you're like a dinghy in the ocean, you know, you're just wow, 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 and your faith is just rocking, and you're not, and you're just holding on for dear life because you've got doubts and struggles about what's going on, and they cause you to waver. And when I read this, I just, it's so freeing and so inviting that we could do that, that we could come to him. So if you're someone who has doubts and you wonder if there's a place for you in church, yes. Yes, there is. It's a place to bring your faith. It's a place to bring your doubts. But I would just add, don't get stuck in your doubts. Work them out. Work them out with others. But it's okay to have doubts because we all have doubts uh, at some level. And that's the beauty of life in Christ. You see, doubt keeps us human. It reminds us of our humanity. Doubt keeps us leaning into God for wisdom and understanding. Doubt humbles us because in doubt we realize, I just don't know it all. Doubt causes us to look to others for reassurance, for help. The beauty is this, though, and this is where it's going to, you know, kind of the rubber meets the road here. <clears throat> the beauty of this is that God calls those without doubts and those with doubts to be his witnesses. So even when you have doubts, you can still be a witness because you can witness to what you know has been true in your life. And then Jesus, okay, now he gives us the great commission. And so verse 18, <clears throat> it says, Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority. I want you to uncircle that, all authority in heaven and on earth. And I'm going to stop there. I know it's the end of the slide, but on your notes, I'm going to stop there right now. And I want to talk about 
this idea of authority. And Jesus wants them to know that the resurrection substantiated all the claims he had made to be God and to be God's son, and it's true. And therefore, as being God and God's son, he had the authority to act for God. The authority and the power was given him to act for God. That word authority, it carries with it a, kind of a real wide range of meaning, but it means power, it means the right to do something, it means the freedom to do something, and it means the ability to do something. So it's the power to do it, the right to do it, the freedom to do it, and the ability to do it. All that's in that word authority. So it means the power, the right to act, the ability to act. <coughs> so let me give you a couple examples. <coughs> a policeman has the right and the ability to arrest someone when they break the law. So that's a policeman's authority. The policeman has the authority to act on the behalf of civil government to enforce the laws that were written by civil government. So the government, on the other hand, has an organization called the IRS. You guys are familiar with this, I know. And the government has the right and the ability to impose taxes on our wages and income. And the government has given the IRS the right and the ability to make sure we pay our taxes. So the best way to think about authority is that it's the right and the ability to rule. And then for us, what we'd want to do, because he is the one in authority, is we would want to surrender ourselves underneath him and say, you have the right and the authority to rule my life. You have the right, and I'm going to trust you because you have all power, the right, and the authority to rule. Okay, so that's the first part of what he said, his great commission. He had the authority to give it, has the right and the ability to help us to carry it out. Then he says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he began with this idea, I have given all authority, and he ends with this idea that I will always be with you. So the one who has all authority has also promised he will never leave us. He's promised that he will be there beside us to carry out the mission that now he's given in between those two bookmarks, uh, that all authority and in the presence and always be with us. Then... In the middle of this was the Great Commission. <clears throat> and in the Great Commission, we find an imperative, and then we find some participles that kind of go with and describe the imperative. Now, we get confused because we read it in our English translations, and our English translations draw us to the first word, and that word is go, and we think that's the imperative, but it's not. It's actually a participle. The imperative is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your mission is to make disciples. Your mission is make. Make disciples. Every follower of Jesus Christ, and that, that doesn't leave anyone out who's a follower, every follower of Jesus Christ <coughs> has been given the mission to make disciples. So here's the deal. We have one job. We have one job, and that is to make 
disciples. I don't know if you ever Googled the phrase, you only had one job just to see what you would find, but I did that this week. You only had one job, and I looked at some pictures. I thought I would show them with you. You only had one job. Stairs, railing, uh, they don't match. You only had one job, and you messed it up. Let's look at another one. You only had one job to put a sign over the juice about bacon. Oh, I don't think that's going to work. You only had one job, and you just lost it. Next, you only had one job. Uh-oh. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? You only had one job to announce the Miss Universe winner, and uh-oh. <laughs> oh, you guys saw that. What happened? Look at the next one. You only had one job. <laughs> Maybe you should go to school before you write school, right? <laughs> and then one more. You only had one job. I don't think so. <laughs> you only had one job. Well, we have one job, and our one job is to make disciples. And then those disciples make disciples, and those disciples make disciples, and that's the one job. So I just want to be really clear. Our mission, our assignment, if you are a follower of Jesus, our one job, listen to me, is not to make converts. Really? Isn't that what the church is all about, is to make converts? We hear that all the time. You're going out to convert? Nope, nope, that's not our job. Our mission is not to get people to say a prayer of confession. That's part of our mission. That's the leading edge, that we would introduce people to Jesus Christ, and they would choose Jesus Christ. If you want to use the convert, convert. But they would choose Jesus. But that's not the end of our job. That's just the beginning of our job, that we would introduce people to Jesus Christ. It's much more than that. It's much more. So it would help if we knew what a disciple was. So I just thought I'd help us out. So the word disciple, you might want to write this down. Disciple is a learner. Disciple is one who obeys Jesus and one who is an apprentice. So this is someone who has chosen Jesus, that they have prayed a prayer of confession, and they've entered into his kingdom, entered into his family. And now a disciple is a learner, one who obeys Jesus, or thanks to Dallas Willard, we're so familiar with this word, <laughs> apprentice. Uh, another definition, Mike Bullmore says it this way, a disciple is someone who loves Jesus, who increasingly forms their life around Jesus, and who joins the mission of Jesus. That's a disciple. Loves Jesus, increasingly forms their life around Jesus. It doesn't say that you have to be perfect here, does it? Increasingly means it's ongoing and it's growing, becoming like Jesus but who joins the mission of Jesus. <clears throat> That's what we're called to be, and this is what we are called to make. So the question I have for you today, if you're a follower of Jesus, will you own this as your mission? Will you own it? I was talking to my son Ryan yesterday, and I was driving home and had been here, and had, we had a funeral yesterday, and I was driving home. I, he said, what are you talking about tomorrow, Dad? And I said, well, I'm talking about the Great Commission. And he said, oh, wow, you know what? Um, he had had a class last semester on the Pentateuch, and the Pentateuch is the first five chapters of the Old Testament. And we're also, if you're doing our daily Bible reading, we've been reading through Genesis, and we read about the story of Abraham. And he reminded me, uh, and he talked about what his professor said, and the professor was talking about Abraham when Abraham was promised the um, promised land. And so when, when Abraham went into the promised land, the promised land was the kingdom of God, and so he was given 
the kingdom of God. So that was the promised land. And it wasn't the promised land so that I've got it and I'm going to hold on to it. So, you know, I'm going to, I just love living within the boundaries of the kingdom of God and keep everybody out because I like it right here, just me and my people. But really, it was so that Abraham and his influence, the kingdom of God would be expanded. And then this is what the professor said. I wrote it down because it was so meaningful for me personally. Here's the professor. He said this. He told the class, you are not living up to your full potential unless you are living for the missional expansion of the kingdom of God. So as followers of Jesus, we are not living up to our full potential unless we are living for the missional expansion of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus gave as the Great Commission. So now, turn on the back side. Let's talk a little bit about what that means. I know some of you are looking at your clock going, oh my gosh, we're just on the back side. Lunch is going to be late today, honey. I know it's what you're thinking, but it's going to fly now. You know, I've got this cough I can't get rid of, so I've been going slower today just so I don't cough as much. Uh, But it's really going to go fast now, okay? So here's the three things that Jesus said. First, go everywhere. He said, go everywhere. Now, the word... Go is actually a participle, so it really should say, as you are going, not go, but make is the verb, it's the primary imperative there, but now as you are going, it's part of making, so the most accurate way to say it is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, so that means everywhere. As you're going, wherever you go, be my witness, be my witness, and make Disciples. So what this requires, folks, is it requires movement on our part. It requires us to move. It means that I come here, and when I'm here, it doesn't require movement. I sit, and it's easy, and I listen, and I might get to sing, and then I go. But the going that Jesus calls us to do requires us to get outside of our comfort and move out into our world, our community. So it would be as you go into your world, as you go into your workplace, as you go into your home, as you go into your favorite hangout place, as you go into your recreational activities, as you go into your entertainment venues, as you go into your school, as you go into the nursing home where your aunt is at, as you go into the restaurants that you like to eat, as you go into the coffee shops where you like to go, as you go into the grocery stores, he's, what he's saying is, as you go, look for opportunities to make disciples, do that. Look for opportunities to be my witnesses. Look for opportunities to turn conversations. Just look for those trigger words to turn conversations to where you can talk about what Jesus has done in your life, what God is doing in you. Look for opportunity and openings to speak about your belief. Learn to be, as we talked about last week, a lighthouse shining the light into the world. So what that means is, what Jesus is saying is this, and we need to hear this, you will never be in a place where you're not on mission. Some of you are thinking, well, I go to places, and I'm not on mission there. So maybe you don't go to those places. But just know, you will never be in a place where you are not on mission. And the method of making disciples then is life on life. You're bringing Jesus into the world wherever you go. Life on life. Life, And so we make disciples by engaging with people in our world. It's an everyday, everywhere, global mission that we get to do, to make disciples. So the assumption is that we're going to go, and we're not going to succeed unless we go. 
And then as we go, we see ourselves as his ambassadors or as witnesses into the world in which we're in. Now, you know, this is so hard. I mean, you know, I, I know that I get to hang around with mostly followers of Jesus, right? I have to hang around with pastors, and most of them are followers of Jesus, I think. Uh, I'm not sure about all of them, but yeah, no, I'm teasing. But, you know, I, I know that I live in this kind of bubble world, and I understand that. Uh, but I definitely also understand, because I didn't always have this job, and I make it an opportunity to hang with and be with and be around people who aren't followers of Jesus. And I read and I study and I see how the church and Christians are being ostracized in our culture today. And I know how difficult this is. So what I'm talking about today is that you go into your world and it's not to change the world. It's to live like Jesus, okay? To live like him so that as you live like him, you're shining light and others see that. Okay, the second idea is this. We make disciples as we baptize everyone. So this is the inclusion part. We bring folks in. We baptize everyone. Jesus is baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a sacred act whereby a person identifies with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and their acceptance of that truth and the reality that they've been changed. It's a dynamic symbol that represents what happens when we believe and we receive Jesus. It's the identifying marker of a disciple. Baptism. It's the marker of belief in Jesus. See, just like my wedding ring is the identifying marker that I'm married to Kimberly and I have made a commitment to her and my as my wife baptism is the identifying marker that I am now connected to Jesus Christ and I made a commitment to him with my life. I wear my wedding ring. I wear it proudly showing the world that I belong to her. Proudly. She should should cheer too. But see, what baptism does is baptism lets the world know, and I'm proud of it, that I belong to Jesus. The identifying marker of a follower of Jesus is baptism. I identify with his death for me. It's a beautiful picture as someone goes under the water and they're brought back up out of the water of what God has done in a person's life. And I just say, just as honestly as I can today, this is why it's so hard for me to understand why some of you choose not to be baptized. I simply just don't understand. Jesus said, be baptized. I don't get it. I really don't. It's the identifying marker. So we talk about baptism, we model baptism, we celebrate baptism, and yet some of you choose not to be baptized. Jesus said, disciples are baptized, and we should baptize. I just want to encourage you, wrestle with this. If you've never been baptized, that you would choose to say, this is what I'm going to do to identify with him. And the third is this. We make disciples as we teach everything. Teach everything. So this is why it's so critical that we stay engaged in learning. This is why the Bible says in Hebrews that we should not forsake the assembling together with our brothers and sisters, 
because it's in this opportunity <coughs> that we get to learn. See, the deal is this. We can all learn and we can all teach. And a disciple is a person who's engaged in the process of continual learning, investigation, walking with, walking beside Jesus and others. So that's what a disciple is, continual learning. Folks, none of us know everything. None of us. You know, I just think my knowledge wouldn't even fill a thimble. Uh, and so there's so much more that we can know, and we learn it as we walk in community together. We need each other. Each one of us has something to teach. We can all learn from each other. I know when I have the opportunity to hear someone tell their faith story, <coughs> I have the opportunity to learn from them about their experience and what God did in someone who's wired so much different than, differently than I am. Disciples are learners. And I would just say today, <coughs> this book is the primary source of the learning that we need to bring into our hearts and minds is the truth of this book. That's why this has been the source of truth for our church and authority for our church from the very first day. You know, that we need to know the Bible. We need to not just base everything we do on public opinion polls or charismatic leaders uh, or authors and what they say, but we need to know the book and believe the book. It has within it all we need for living the fullest life that God makes possible for us to live. I just want to give a shout out now to all the community group leaders, those who open up their homes, the hosts who open up their homes so that they can, other people can come in and now life on life, person to person, iron sharpens iron together that you can find a place where you can learn and know and work out your faith in community together. Just thank you. Thank you. And if you're a part of a community group, there's booklets out there and there's opportunities for you to join one. I'd love for you uh, to do that and to engage. So here, let's give the bottom line of what I'm talking about today. The bottom line is this. The key idea is that paragraph on your notes. It says this. Jesus has promised us that as we live every day on mission, we will have his power because he has the authority and right. We will have his presence because he said he will always be with us to live out his purpose of making disciples. That's the bottom line. It's a key idea of what we're going to talk about for several weeks in this series. And I want to end today with a challenge. Look at the bottom of your notes. It says this. I will pray that God will use me to influence these people to become disciples. Become disciples. The introduction to being a disciple. And I want to ask you to do is I want to ask God right now. God, I will pray. So God, who do you want me to pray about? Who do you want me to talk to you about? In this place right now. And I, and I don't want you to talk about, you know, your aunt who lives, you know, all the way across the country. It's wonderful that you're praying for her, that she would come to faith and being a disciple. I want you to pray for people in your sphere of influence, where you live, the people you know, that God would use you to influence them in some way to become a disciple. So there's three spots there. I want to ask you to write down three names. Just take a moment here. And write down three names. It's going to give you a chance right now to think, God, please bring to my mind three people that you would want me to be available so that through my influence, they might become disciples. Now, as you're thinking about that, I'll tell you a story. 
couple of weeks ago, before our women's tea, a woman stopped me uh, as uh, I was coming in, and, and of course, I don't go to women's teas, okay? But I was here to, you know, pray, and so, and she said, I, I want to tell you a story that will encourage you, and she says, do you remember when our building wasn't finished yet, and we had the preview visits? And as part of the preview visit, we, came, we brought everybody here in uh, groups, and we walked around the building just to kind of familiarize folks with what the building would be like. We came into this room. There was no carpet on the floor. And we ended that night, uh, that, op- that group, by saying, now what we'd like you to do is to, is to ask God for names of people that you want to, through the influence of this church and this building, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. And she said, do you remember that? And I'm like, do I remember that? That was one of the highlights of my 24 years here. And still is. And she went on to say, she said, I just want you to know that one of the names I wrote that day was a woman. And this year, 2015, she said yes to Jesus. 2015. And what I want to say about that is that God is still answering prayers that were prayed 10 and a half years ago. 10 and a half years ago. And I've heard that same story, I'll just say hundreds of times because I can't keep count of people who've come up to me and said, you know what, I had to point to me to someone who's here or talk about somebody who's not, but they gave their life to Jesus because their name is on the floor. And they prayed for them that at some point that they would come to know Jesus Christ. So I want you now to write down three names on your sheet of paper. Three names on your sheet of paper that you believe and you're asking God that you would be the one that would be able to influence them toward Christ, okay? And look at what Paul says. He says, pray that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's everyday life on mission. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. Uh, for this church. I thank you for your people. And uh, Lord, I thank you that, uh, that you have reawakened in me uh, this desire that we be on mission uh, in a stronger way. Uh, that, Lord, that it's so easy to turn inward as a church and uh, to be focused on what the voices say everybody needs. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be focused on both what people need and inside and outside the church to come to know you. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would help each of us to own that mission. Every one of us to own the mission. That we would see ourselves as witnesses, ambassadors, examples. And God, I just pray that you keep any of us from being too weird, okay? <laughs> that you really, that you, we want to be loving. We want to be full of the fruits of the Spirit and that people would want to know Jesus because we're around instead of want us to go away. Father, I pray that. And I pray that you would just help anyone in the room who wants to know Jesus today, that they would say yes to that offer even in their own life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.